Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the, son, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom of the feast, at the feast, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. You want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd... Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into a palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him. Then they led led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place they called Golgotha which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come now now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. 
One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Thanks, Carl. We do have a song, sorry. (laughs) Well, on July the 14th in 1789, uh, the citizens of France stormed the Bastille. The Bastille was a kind of a fort that had been turned ostensibly uh, into a prison uh, for people uh, who uh, the king didn't get along with. But on that day in 1789, the citizens stormed the Bastille and in many ways that marked the beginning of the French Revolution. There'd been kind of tussles going on for a while, but that was the real, uh, the real start uh, of what was happening there. The citizens rose up against the tyranny of their leaders and against the tyranny of the king. A few years later began what has become known as the Reign of Terror. Uh, during which, ironically, uh, the ironically named Committee of Public Safety oversaw a program of vicious trials and executions. Uh, if, you, if you've seen you know, films like The Scarlet Pimpernel or, uh, or things like that, you might know of kind of the vicious way that the people uh, treated their, uh, their leaders. During the reign of terror, around 300,000 people were arrested and uh, 17,000 of those people were executed, sentenced to death and executed, and lo- many other people besides that uh, were killed as well. In the revolution, the citizens became the masters, and the masters became the criminals. But that spirit of the revolution, the spirit which drove that revolution uh, all those years ago, is alive and well still today. C.S. Lewis once observed that whereas ancient people approached God or gods as the accused person approaches a judge, that is, with fear and trepidation, whereas ancient people approached God in fear and trepidation, in contrast, for modern people, we are the judge and God is in the dock. The dock is, you know, that place in the courtroom where the prisoner stands, where the accused person stands. From our perspective, it's not us who's on trial from God, but God is who is on trial by us. The question which preoccupies our minds is not, will God accept me, but should I accept God? Is God worth accepting? Does he deserve to be accepted, to be believed, to be honoured? Does he even exist? Is he who the Bible says he is? But C.S. Lewis was actually only half right. God is in the dock today, he he, he most certainly is, but actually God has always been in the dock. And on the very first Good Friday, God was actually in in the dock in a way that he never had been before and he never has been since. 
In Mark 14 and 15, which we read uh, just a moment ago, we see human beings putting God on trial. Jesus is the Son of God whom the Father sent into the world to make himself known to us. But rather than accept Jesus and honour him, uh, honour him as our creator, the people crucify him. Before Jesus is crucified, he stands trial three times. Uh, At the end of Mark 14, he stands trial before the religious leaders. And the hypocrisy uh, on display in that trial is uh, sort of unparalleled. The religious leaders uh, have already determined what the outcome is going to be. They've already determined that they're going to put Jesus to death. But they're having trouble finding evidence to convict him of that. In verse 55, we're told the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin uh, were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. They have all these false witnesses, but they can't get the, the evidence to match up so that they can convict him. They try a few more, it still doesn't work. Eventually, one of the religious leaders asked Jesus, he says straight out, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? To which Jesus says, yes. I mean, what else could he say? He'd done miracles that no other man had ever done. He'd fed 5,000 people from a few loaves of bread. He'd raised the dead. He'd walked on water. He healed the sick, he opened the eyes of the blind, he drove out demons, he taught with a wisdom and with an authority that was unparalleled. He'd shown himself to be God and yet the high priest tears his clothes when Jesus says yes. He tears his clothes and accuses Jesus of blasphemy. Are you the Christ, the son of the beloved one, the son of the most high? Yes. And the high priest says no. No. No, I'm sorry, you're not God. You're not the God that we were expecting. You're not the kind of God that we want. The religious leaders put God on trial. Their question is not, how can I know God, but is this the God that I want or not? Next, Jesus is tried by Pilate, the Roman governor. At the beginning of chapter 15, Jesus appears before Pilate And Pilate asks Jesus whether he is the king of the Jews. Again, what can Jesus say? He's the son of David. Uh, He's God's long-awaited king who will gather his people, uh, God's people under his rule and make a people who love and serve God. But Pilate doesn't know what to do. So he asks the crowd what he should do. And the crowd just cries out, crucify him. Pilate says, what crime has he committed? Well, that doesn't really matter. They've already decided, they've already made up their minds that this is not the God that they want. So Pilate consents to Jesus being crucified. The religious leaders condemn Jesus, Pilate condemns Jesus, the crowds condemn Jesus. They condemn him for being what he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Saviour of the world and our King. At the cross, you see, humanity acted out what most of us do every single day. We convict God. We convict God either either as an imposter or a hypocrite or unjust or as just plain unlikable. I'd like a different God to you, we say. We put God on trial. 
we might say, I don't like hell. I can't accept a God who would send people to hell. We say, how can God allow suffering in the world? God must be evil. I can't believe in a God who would allow suffering. Of course, God can't win. If he allows suffering, he's uncaring. And if he judges people for being evil, he's a bully. Or we say, how come there's only one way to God? I can't believe in a God who only accepts people who come to him through Jesus. We say Christians are hypocrites. Therefore, their God must be a worthless piece of trash. He must be no God at all. We do it in all kinds of ways. We do it in all kinds of small ways every day when we reject God's authority over us. I don't want to do that. God's way is stupid, we say to ourselves. God says, live this way. And we say, no, that's a dumb way to live. I'm not going to do that. I think living my way is much more fun. God says, don't be selfish. And we think, well, actually, selfishness is a much more attractive way to live. To live for myself, why not? God says, love me above all things. And we decide to love everything else above God. God says, live this way, and we ask, why does God get to say how I should live? Who does he think he is? He's not the God that I want. At the end of the day, those questions often amount to, how come God doesn't do things the way I would do it if I was God? What we do is we put God in the dock. The cross, you see, was not just a one-off where human beings got a bit carried away, where people just like you and me sort of did something that they would never normally do. The cross is actually the clearest expression of our deepest inclinations. It's the display of our, the utter sinfulness of our sin. It displays and puts up there in stark contrast our deep desire to be rid of God. The cross is our great act as human beings of self-condemnation. It's not the only act of our self-condemnation, but it is the one which displays it the most clearly. It starkly displays the way that we judge God every day. But if that's all Good Friday was, if Good Friday was just the day that displays our sin, our self-condemnation, It could never be a good day, as Ben said before. But Jesus' crucifixion was not just our greatest act of self-condemnation, it was also God's greatest act of condemnation, which doesn't sound like it would be a good thing, uh, but it actually is. On the cross, God condemned Jesus. God forsook his own son. As he drew his last breath, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that one moment, two things were happening at the same time. God was demonstrating the utter depravity of human sinfulness. God was demonstrating the hostility of us towards him. And at the same time, God was pouring out on that one man, Jesus Christ, his wrath against human beings like you and me for what we've done to God. Pouring out his wrath for what we've done in trying to put God to death. At the very same moment that we were unjustly condemning God, God was condemning Jesus. But not for his own crimes, but for ours. 
the cross became exhibit A in God's case against us. But at the very same moment, it also became the opportunity for God's mercy and justice to be most clearly seen. At the very same moment that we were condemning ourselves and convicting ourselves, God was redeeming and forgiving those who trust in Jesus Christ. You might say, but how is it fair that one man should suffer for everything that I've done, for everything that other people have done? How is that fair? But if that's the means that God should choose to assuage his wrath, why not? If that's the means that God should use to obtain justice, why shouldn't he do it? Jesus, for his part, went willing to the cro- willingly to the cross. Why shouldn't that be the means that God should use? And after all, isn't it fitting that in our moment of greatest self-condemnation, God was condemning our sin as well and putting an end to it? Although Jesus had done no wrong against God or against anyone else, God made him the representative of all those who have tried to put God to death. And Jesus took the penalty that we deserved for our unjust condemnation of God. So that everyone who trusts in Jesus' death is free from the condemnation of God as well. The condemnation of one man brought forgiveness and mercy for others. Forgiveness and mercy for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. At the cross, we nailed up God and we said to him, guilty as charged. And at the very same moment on the cross, God was saying the same thing about us. Guilty as charged. But instead of pointing at you or me, he was pointing at Jesus. And he was saying, you're guilty, but he's the one who's paying the penalty. Well, Good Friday offers us two choices. We can do one of two things. We can stay standing with the crowd, pointing at Jesus and saying, you're not God. You're not the kind of God that I want. When I asked for a God, I asked asked for somebody different to you. I asked for somebody more like me. You can stay standing with the crowd, but if we don't flee to Jesus and embrace his death and condemnation in our place, then the end result will be that when Jesus returns, we'll face the condemnation and eternal death that we deserve for condemning God and judging God. Or we can do the opposite. We can embrace the cross we can throw our lot in with Jesus and say to God I'm as guilty I'm guilty as charged I wasn't there on that day but every day of my life I've condemned myself for judging you we can say with the centurion surely this man was the son of God You might still be tempted to judge God. You might still have doubts about the character of God. 
But remember this, in that moment on the cross, we were the only ones doing evil. And yet God was the only one doing good. We tried to put God to death. But God put our sin to death in Jesus Christ. Whatever else that says, it says that God is a God who can be trusted and God is a God who can be embraced. What will you do? What have you done? Or what will you do? Will you put God in the dock? Or will you put yourself in the dock and say, guilty as charged, but I'm with Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, uh, each of us want to acknowledge that we are people that you have created and made. Lord, you created us to be good in a good world, in a pleasant world, in an enjoyable world. Uh, Lord, but we live lives that judge you and which condemn you, uh, not for uh, any evil in you, Lord, but most often for the evil in us. Uh, and the evil that we experience at the hands of others. Lord, we confess that uh, often we don't want you to be God. We want ourselves to be God or we make others God. And we bow down and worship them. And we bow down and worship ourselves. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for that. And that you would help each one of us to run to the cross where Jesus stood condemned in our place. The man that we condemned, but also the man that you condemned for us. Lord, help us please to trust in him and to know that in him our sins have been dealt with once and for all. Uh, and that we can really and truly know you. Father, we Pray that you press these truths uh, to our hearts and give us joy uh, in the knowledge that we are forgiven sinners. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.